Thank you, worship team. Wasn't that beautiful? Guys, let's give them a clap. They've been preparing that song. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you for ministering to us this morning through worship, through song. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Graham, and I'm one of the pastors here at, at City Reach. I have the privilege of looking after families and children, and it really is a privilege. Um, as Jason said, we are in the middle of a study in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And it's always interesting to me that God uses letters as his word, right? When Paul sat down to write this letter, he didn't know that one day it would become part of the canon of Scripture. He was just writing a personal letter to a church. Uh, but years later, when they formed the canon of Scripture, 21 out of the 27 books that make up the New Testament are letters, uh, so why would God use letters, right? Surely it's just easier if he used a textbook or a manual or an encyclopedia because then we could just like anything we wanted to know about grace, we open up to chapter 4 or maybe everything we want to know about salvation, we open up to chapter 7. Everything we want to know about uh, suffering, we open to a different chapter. But God didn't do it that way. He chose letters because letters are personal. Letters speak of relationship. Letters speak into a real situation. They are addressed to real people with real needs and real struggles. Uh, I wonder if we realize that 12 months before, before Paul sat down to write this letter, he didn't know a single person in Thessalonica but as he writes this letter, right, what shines through is this affection, this deepness of relationship that he has with people there who, who are, are fellow believers, partakers, and heirs with Christ with him. And Paul gives us this, this insight. He shares his heart, how he felt about people. We hear something of his thoughts and feelings. And Paul He's actually honest enough to say that sometimes he felt in the depths of fear and concern for the churches. He was filled with anguish. And other times he was on top of the mountain. And, you know, we can get this idea that the ideal Christian life is one that stays beautifully even, right? There are not many highs, there are not many lows, but one that just stays beautifully even. Like, wouldn't that be great if everything just goes along smoothly, right? But you don't find that in the New Testament. And if we're honest, there are times where we feel like the wind is blowing in our sails. Things are going great. God's answering our prayer. We're healthy. Uh, all our hopes and our dreams are coming to pass. We feel close to the Lord. People are coming to know Jesus. It's easy to get out of bed, come to church, and sing praise songs to Jesus. But then we also go through times when it's hard and it's tough and Things don't seem to be going well. There might be sickness in the family. All our hopes and dreams seem to be shattered. And it's hard to come to church. It's hard to praise the Lord. And in this beautiful little passage we look at today, Paul actually outlines his struggles and, and his, what's going on with him and his concern for them. And he also talks about their afflictions, their sufferings. 
So as we look at the passage today, we're going to look at it in four parts. We're going to look at his desire, that is Paul's desire, his hindrance, his glory and joy, and then finally we will look at their afflictions. So let's start. His desire, verse 17 says this, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. You see, Paul had left Thessalonica in a great hurry. It was under the cloud of darkness. Uh, the situation was so tense there that the leaders got together and they said, Paul, we got to get you out of here quickly and quietly. And Paul says, that moment was being like torn away from you. It was painful for me. It was like ripping me apart. And he says, guys, I want you to know that even though I left you in body, my heart remained with you. My heart never left you. When we become believers and we become followers of Jesus, one of the first things we find out is that we have all these brothers and sisters in Christ. We're now part of a much bigger family. And wherever our body goes and we meet new believers in Christ, it's amazing how suddenly somebody we've never known and we meet them and we find out, you're a believer, I'm a believer. And there's this connection, this bond that we have with them and our, our heart stays with them. Our heart stays with them even though our body might not. And Paul was like, a, he was such a man. He would go and he wasn't only interested in what was happening while he was there. And then when he moved on, he forgot about them. No, he's saying, like, I was, I met you. I loved you as brothers and sisters. And my heart stayed with you. He says, But I want you to know that even though my heart was with you, I wanted my body to join my heart. I wanted to see you face to face. And, you know, there's this real sense where, you know, even though our hearts are there, it's not enough, right? We want our bodies to be there too. I don't know if you've ever felt that, like you're in this place, but your heart is somewhere else, and there's this longing to be there. Um, Twelve months ago, I had no idea that there was this thing called Zoom. I thought Zoom was a word out of a Dr. Zeus book. Uh, but it's actually this great little bit of technology, right, where we can sit down in front of a computer or an iPad and we can see people far away. You know, it's great because you can wear PJs down and wear a suit up. But it's nothing like being face to face. It's nothing like seeing people in the flesh. Um, Pastor Timon and a team, they've been going to Nepal for quite a few years. And they go there to, to train leaders. Now, Nepal is a completely different culture. They have a different climate. They have a different food. They have a different culture about them. It is everything that Australia isn't. But, Pastor Timon said, they are brothers and sisters in Christ. There is this bond I feel with them. They are family to me now. And there is this desire every year to go back and be with them because I have this deep affection for them. And, he, and I was chatting to him this past week, and he said, it's been hard this year not being able to go and see them face to face. And he said, we've, we've sent training videos, we've done everything we can, we've sent resources, we've sent gifts, 
But it's not the same. I want to see them face to face. Guys, and, and that should be our heart too. That's how we should feel about our brothers and sisters. There should be this longing to spend time together. But it should also be how we feel about Jesus. You see, Jesus has our hearts and we know him in part, but there should be this longing to see him face to face. That's why Paul writes, he says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Um, I heard of a, of a story of a very well-known pastor who had cancer and he was really struggling with with having cancer, and he asked people, would you come and would you pray with me? And people would come from all over the world to pray with him and comfort him and spend time with him. But there was this one person who arrived at his door and said, I have something for you. And he read him this verse. He said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And he said to him, Paul had this desire to be with Christ, but he was willing to stay. He said, you are willing to depart, but you desire to stay. And the Lord wants you to get those things right. And then he left. I don't know about you, but that challenges me greatly. What is my desire? You know, am I willing to go, but really I desire to stay or is my, my love for him, my affection for him so great that I desire to be with him? What is our desire? Where are our hearts at in terms of our brothers and sisters? Where are our hearts at in terms of our love for the Lord? So Paul says to them, guys, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. But there's been this hindrance, right? This is my hindrance. Paul says, I've been stopped from coming to you. And it's the worst kind of stopping because Satan himself has hindered me from coming to you. Now, if you ask me one thing that I'd really like in life, I would say I want 10 minutes with the Apostle Paul because I've got all these questions I'd love to ask him. And one of the questions I would do from this passage is, is Paul, how did Satan stop you, right? Like, what, what was he doing? Because the passage doesn't tell us, right? And another question I would have is, Paul, look, you know, there were times you were going places, and you would say, the Holy Spirit stopped me, and then other times, like now, you're saying, Satan stopped me. How, how did you know the difference? How did you know when it was the Lord, or, or how did you know it was Satan? Paul says, right, the, the Holy Spirit stopped me from going to Bithynia. And now Satan has stopped him from going to Thessalonia. How did he know? One thing that we can be sure of is that Paul knew without a doubt that this was the work of Satan stopping him. It literally says, Satan put a roadblock in my path that I couldn't get through to you. Now, I don't know how he was doing that. And I don't know how Paul knew it was him, but I can tell you why. It's because if Satan can keep Christians apart, he will. If Satan can keep someone who will meet the spiritual needs of another group of Christians apart, 
he will. If Satan can keep Christians from coming together and meeting together, he will. So I don't know if Satan was causing Paul sickness or he was using people or circumstances to stop him. Scripture just doesn't tell us. But we do know why. We know that he planned to separate Paul from the Thessalonians. Because he knew that if they got together, they would build one another up in Christ. They would strengthen each other. And one thing you will realize as you walk with Christ for any length of time, you will realize that you have opposition. That things will come into your life and you just don't know why they are working out. We do have opposition. And Paul says to them, I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I want to be with you. That I haven't forgotten about you. But I have been hindered from coming to you. But I do want to tell you guys something. I want to tell you something that's so important to me. I want to tell you about my glory and my joy. This is what it says in verse 19 and 20. It says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, I desire, like while we're on earth, I just want to be with you. I want to see how you're doing. But also one day, I want to be proud of you in heaven. Paul bursts out. He just says, like you are our hope, our joy, our glory, our crown. And that word for crown, today we would describe that as a gold medal. Right? It's kind of like an athlete in those days. They, they had a little wreath that they put on their head. Today it's like a gold medal. It's like saying to Jesus on that day, these people, they are my crowning achievement. When you face Jesus, what will be your crown? What will be your glory? Because many people are putting their hope in things now, which when they meet Jesus, will not be their hope. Many people are putting their glory in things now, which when they meet him on that day, will not be their glory. Maybe it's about putting our glory in our possessions. We become so wound up in the stuff that we have and the stuff that we want, and we glory in it. We marvel in the stuff that we have. Or well, sometimes we glory in our little fame, our little status and position that we have. Don't ever want to let that go. Or maybe we just glory in self, all the pleasures that I can get out of this life. For me, none of those things will be your glory in that day. In that day, your glory, your crown will be the people that you have brought nearer to Jesus. It might be that you were privileged enough to lead them to Christ. Or it might be that you encouraged them, you carried their burdens, you exhorted them in their faith. And you were part of their journey. Guys, there's a right kind of boasting on that day when you face Jesus. For Paul, it was saying, those people, Lord, those people that you, you gave me the privilege of ministering to, those people, they, they are my crowning glory. Right To see them standing strong in faith in you, to see them following you, that's what brings me the greatest, greatest joy. That's my crowning achievement. 
Um, many years ago, my wife and I were part of a church in Hong Kong called uh, Island City Church, and we started a youth group, and we decided to call it Island City Youth, right? Sounds okay. But then it got shortened to Icy. So it's not a great name for a youth group, but it was called Icy. And uh, we would meet on a Friday night, and there were all these Hong Kong kids. And one thing that they'd love to do was play this game or answer this question, where will you be in 10 years' time? Or where do you want to be in 10 years' time? Now, when I was 16 or 17, whenever I considered my future, it was only where am I going to be on Friday night? But these Hong Kong kids, they were, they were like, where are we going to be in 10 years' time? And anyway, we were going around the circle, and uh, they would say, I want to be a doctor, or I want to be an accountant, I want to be an, a, a lawyer, because I want to make my parents proud. I want to make my parents proud. It was kind of like I was saying, that's the crown I want to give back to my parents to say that how they invested in me has been worth it because I've become a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant, someone of status. And when it came to my turn, I just said to them, guys, you know, in 10 years' time, my greatest joy, the thing that I would desire most, is not whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or whatever you are, that's not important. My greatest desire would be to see you standing firm in your faith, stronger than you've ever been, going on with Jesus. And that's what Paul says, when I look at my life, that's the thing that gives me the greatest joy. My crowning achievement is you and your faith in Jesus. Don't forget that. But Paul is concerned for them. He's really concerned. He's actually, he's down. You can sense it, right? He's down. It's playing on his mind. He cares about these people. And he hears that they're suffering, that they're going through these afflictions. And he wants to know how they've affected him. I don't know, has anyone here seen the movie Wonder? Has anyone seen the movie Wonder? A few of you? It's great. It was popular a few years ago. It's about a little boy. You see him wearing a space helmet uh, because he has this craniofacial condition, which changes the way how he looks. And he doesn't want people to see him. Uh, and it's kind of these real sort of pull at the heartstrings movie, right? When we, we watched as a family, everyone was crying. And, uh, and it's a fictional story. But there is a boy, a real boy, named Nathaniel Newman, who does have a craniofacial condition. And he says, I relate to most things in that movie. Everything that that little boy went through in the movie, that's the story of my life. When Nathaniel was born, his parents knew that he was going to face suffering. Simply because of the way he was born, he was different. He was destined to suffer. But his parents made this decision. They decided we are not going to hide him away from the rest of the world. And they told him from an early age, you are going to suffer. You are going to face difficulty. But they made a conscious decision to prepare him for that suffering. And they were intentional about this. That there's two ways which we have to get him prepared for suffering. And we're going to do it like this. Number one, they made sure that he knew he was loved. 
that the family loved him, that the family was a rock to him. And number two, they taught him that whatever fears or suffering he went through, that he could always, always bring that to the family and they would bear those burdens together. And it was tough. Nathaniel went to school and he did face afflictions. He was laughed at. He was misunderstood. He was mocked. He was rejected. And he says there are times that he would go through that he just, he just wanted to give up. But because he knew that he was loved, because he knew that he could always go to his family, he made it. He endured suffering. And he's recently, he's written a book with his mom. And it's this book called Normal, One Kid's Extraordinary Journey. And it's this beautiful story told through his eyes and his mom's eyes of the struggles that they faced and the doubts and the fears that they went through. But more than that, it's this beautiful story of a relationship, of a family. Guys, and Paul is just like that. He knew that the Thessalonians, now that they were followers of Christ, that they'd been born again, that they were different, he knew that they were destined to suffer. And he says, I told you guys it was going to happen. You know, thank God for Paul's honesty. Right? He doesn't sugarcoat the Christian faith. He doesn't tell you you're going to come to Jesus and it's all going to be plain sailing. All your problems are going to go away. In fact, he tells them, no, actually it's going to be tough. The world is going to reject you. You're going to face suffering. You are destined for it. And he told them, time again and again, it's coming. But he's still concerned as they face these sufferings, these afflictions, how are they going to, to deal with it? So he decides he's going to send Timothy. Now, it would have, sending Timothy would have come at a huge personal cost to Paul. Uh, Timothy, he had great affection for Timothy, but Timothy was also a co-worker in the gospel. He was a great help to Paul as they preached the gospel in Athens. So he needed Timothy. But he was prepared to send his best for their sake. And he said, Timothy, as you go, this is really important. This is what you need to tell them. This is what you need to do when you get there. You need to establish them in the faith, and then you need to exhort them in the faith. Because if you do that, if you you get them established in the faith, and they are encouraged in the faith, then they're not going to be moved. Whatever they face, they're not going to be moved. And it's kind of like... Those parents, as they, as they taught Nathaniel, they said, God, we have to let you know that you are loved, that you can always come to us. And if you know that, we know that when that suffering comes, you're not going to be moved. God's establishing our faith means rooting ourselves in God's word. It means understanding this gospel of our salvation, right? God's word has everything, everything we need for life and godliness. It gives us wisdom. It protects us from sin and foolish living. But most importantly of all, it points us to Jesus. Through this, we get to know him. You know, the beauty about this thing is it never changes Our circumstances do, but this word never changes. We don't read this word 
to, to get knowledge and, and tick off our reading plan. We read his word because we want to know him. And if establishing ourselves in the faith means rooting ourselves in God's word and his promises and his faithfulness, then exhorting ourselves in the faith means applying its truth. It means whatever we read and hear, we believe. And then we apply it to our circumstances. It's about knowing and trusting that Jesus is creator. He is sustainer of all things, including our heavenly bodies. So we need not fear sickness or injury or death. Because we trust in him. George Whitfield, he was a, a famous evangelist. This is what he had to say. He said, we are immortal until our life's work is done. Our times are in God's hands. We can live unafraid then of what might happen to us. When we encounter physical pain, we remember that Jesus God, the God-man, suffered in the flesh, and that he knows the number of our days. And he grasps our lowly, tent-like condition better than we do. See, Paul looks at this church, and he knows that human opposition is going to come against this little group of believers. He knows now that they are different. The culture of the world is going to impact them. He knows that there's going to be the strain of human relationships. But he also knows, and his greatest concern is that behind all that is someone who is going to exploit that situation to the full. Paul is afraid that they are going to be tempted by the tempter. You know, after all, Satan had stopped him from going to Thessalonica. Now, it is important to highlight the difference between Testing and temptation. See, because the Lord tests us, but he never tempts us. Now, when one sets a test, the desire is that you would pass that test. Any teacher who sets a test desires that their pupils, their students would pass that test. A test reveals to both the one taking the test and the one who's giving the test things that they didn't know. It reveals how much you've learned or haven't learned. See, the Lord will test us when we say, oh yes, we trust in the Lord 100%. But when he tests us, he wants to see if that's true, if our faith is really established on him. And he wants us to pass. He's not setting us up. He wants us to grow. He wants to refine us. It's a good thing. But tempting, tempting, the heart behind temptation is a desire for you to fail. It's really like a trap, right? And like a good trap, it's baited. It's made to look good. It's made to give you this idea that there's a way out. It entices you in. But really, its aim is to deceive you and leave you empty. Its aim is to lead you away from God. Now, the trouble when we suffer, when we face afflictions, is that Satan whispers in our ear. He whispers things like, where is God? Where is He? 
He can't really love you. It's not worth this. It's not worth this. Just go back to your former way of life. It's just much, much easier. You see, the tempter gets in and exploits that kind of situation. And Paul, he just had to know how they were doing. Did they stand up in the face of these afflictions or did they give in? Guys, and we face the same thing today. Suffering will come. You know, for many of us in this room, if not all of us, we have faced suffering in one shape or another. And we should prepare ourselves for suffering, right? And we do that by, by having a faith as established in His Word and a faith as encouraged to apply it, that when it does come, we're not going to be moved. We're not going to be moved. You know, when a, a builder builds a lighthouse, its, its purpose is to give a light that warns ships not to come there, and it directs them in the right direction. But the builder also knows in order for it to achieve its purpose, it needs to be built as close to the danger as possible. He knows that it is going to face huge storms and a relentless beating from the elements around it. It's destined for it. But the builder also knows if that lighthouse, if it is built on the rock, then when those storms come, it's unshakable. It's unmovable. It won't be moved because of the rock on which it stands. Guys, the rock on which we stand is Christ. He is unmovable. He's unshakable. He's totally unsettled by afflictions. And when we realize we are standing on Christ, then we can endure suffering because it's He who holds us. Guys, suffering is a sure reality in this world. I wish I could stand up in front of you guys today and say that suffering will never come. But it will. It will. But you've got to hear this. We need not anxiously fear it. We need not anxiously fear it. Instead, we establish ourselves in faith in God and His Word. We exhort ourselves that in times of trouble, we rest on His promises. And we know that He will give us the grace through His Holy Spirit. And when those times come and you look out and you see the storms coming and it looks scary, it's also that very moment that we look down and we remind ourselves on the rock on which we stand. An unmovable rock, a solid rock, unshaken, and we stand on that rock. You know the most beautiful thing about this story it has this fairy tale like ending. It is beautiful. Because Timothy comes back and he says to Paul, Paul, you know what? I got great news. I got great news. And it's the only time, other than the word gospel, that it's used here. It's like, Paul, I've got a gospel for you. I've got good news for you. They are doing well. They are standing firm in the faith. They are going on with Jesus. They weren't taken under. They were firm in him. And he says, also, Paul, you know what? 
they miss you too. <laughs> Their heart is with you and they wish they could be with you. Guys, let's stand together. Will you stand with me? And let's praise him as one family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family. We carry one another burden. We look out for one another. But we are joined together. We are bonded together because we all have Christ. Christ. So let's worship him. And give him the praise that is worthy only of him. Let's be reminded that he is our rock and our redeemer. Let me pray for you and then let's praise him. Father, we praise you for Paul. We praise you for his honesty and his heart. Lord, we thank you for the Thessalonians who were established in their faith. They rested on the rock which is Christ Lord thank you that they overcame and they endured Lord I, I pray for us Lord Jesus that we would be reminded again that you are our rock on which we can stand that you are not moved you are not unsettled by any afflictions or trials but that you will use them for our good and your glory Lord, I pray that as we go out this week, may we be the church to one another. May we love one another. May we carry one another's burdens. May we encourage one another in the faith. Lord, we love you and we so desire to see you face to face one day. In Jesus' name, amen.